us pray together. Generous and patient God, we pause for a moment to be still and to open wide our hearts and our minds to you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may your ways become ours. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Earlier this week, I was needing to do two reflections, write two reflections for Ash Wednesday and for this morning, and I was feeling completely stuck. And uh, so can you guess what I did? (laughs) Yeah, of course, I went for a walk. And as I've been doing ever since the beginning of my sabbatical, I invited God to come along and to help me move into the the creative, connected part of my brain and of my soul. It was an absolutely lovely afternoon to be out on a walk out at the McCaskey High School. Students were out for spring training, and you could hear the wonderful crack of bats against balls, a sign, a sure sign of spring. And as I was walking, I suddenly felt rising within me six new words. Keep your eye on the why. Keep your eye on the why. And in that moment, the focus for both of my reflections, including this one right here, came into place. And what a relief it was. Friends, we all know what our church does. We all know how we do it. But we so often lose sight of the why. Why do we do the things that we do together? Recently, our congregation has been experiencing a whole series of first experiences, doing things in person for the very first time in two long years. Membership and leadership retreats, sharing communion, gathering in person for Sunday school. This last week, we had our first Ash Wednesday service, and our first in-person season of Lent is now beginning, the first one since 2020. And all of these firsts present us with the wonderful opportunity to reflect on the why of what we do together. Why on earth do we get out of bed on Sunday mornings when many of our neighbors are happily sleeping in? Why do we have ashes smeared on our foreheads? What a strange thing to do. And in Lent, why on earth do we willingly enter into a 40-day-long wilderness journey 
when after a pandemic it feels like we're coming out of an even longer wilderness than 40 days, but one of two years. Amen? And if we're really, really honest, underneath all of these questions is an even bigger existential question many of us are asking these days, why does the church even exist? And if you turn to the back of your bulletin, you'll see that we've listed our mission statement today, not as our mission statement, but as the why. The why of this church. And if you look through that list, none of these things are anything that we can do alone. We can only do these things together. And so right off the bat, dear friends, let us ask, why Lent? Is it so that we can all feel really bad and terrible about ourselves for 40 days? Jess? No. Good. So that we can just start giving up things for the sake of giving up things, but we don't know why? No. Lent, as Mim said early so beautifully, is our annual spring cleaning of the soul. It is our season for clearing away all the things that have overgrown our lives. Bitterness. Overwork. Hurry. Despair over climate change. Doom scrolling on our phones. That's me. Hatred of some group and hatred of ourselves. What if the Christians the world around gave up self-hatred for Lent? What a different world this might be. It is our season for then reorienting our lives more fully toward God and our neighbors. God's ways of generosity and justice and compassion for the vulnerable may not be our ways, but Jesus comes to show us that they can be our ways. And what a joy there is when these ways become ours. And so every Lent, with God's help, we seek to narrow just a little bit more the distance between our ways and God's ways. And so seeking God's ways, this is the why. The why of our season together here at East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. In today's gospel, we meet up with Jesus during his 40 days of temptation out in the wilderness. His hair is still wet and his clothes are still dripping from the baptism that has come just before. 
and God's unveiling of his core identity. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. That is his core identity. And as it's been said, beloved is where Jesus begins. And so must we. And so must our kids. Parents, whisper those words in the ears of your children every night. You are my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased. Every night. And even to, into the ears of your spouse. Maybe not, you're my beloved child. <laughs> my beloved spouse, I'm so grateful for you. One commentator, Judy, uh, Nadia Boltz Weber, says that if God's first move is to give us our core identity, then the devil's first move is to call it into question. Three times today, a Bible-quoting devil, think about that, <laughs> a Bible-quoting devil questions Jesus' core identity. Two of his three questions to Jesus begin with, if, if, you are the Son of God. And because of the horrific things that are happening right now in Ukraine, I notice that all three temptations today offer Jesus impatient shortcuts. Impatient shortcuts for how he will go about his ministry. Should he win people's hearts with bread and circuses, with the speedy displays of power and coercion and violence offered by the devil? Or should he win people's hearts with the slow power of love? You see, all true spiritual change and deep transformation takes time and much patience. For Jesus, it comes one walk and one talk and one meal at a time with people. It's not fast. But it's the only kind of change that bears lasting fruit. There is no lasting fruit in anything that is happening in the Ukraine right now. And then, if we turn to our first reading from Deuteronomy, we hear Moses urging his people again and again to keep their eye on the why. Earlier in Deuteronomy 6, Moses says to his people, when your kids ask you why we do the things that we do, tell them, our central why. To remember 
that we were once Pharaoh's enslaved people, but God set us free. Moses never wants them to forget God's liberation and generosity to them. And so today, Moses tells his people to bring the first fruits of their harvest. And out loud, out loud, to remember the story of God's deliverance. And we have to wonder, what is this preoccupation again and again with remembering, with not forgetting? You see, whenever we remember God's faithfulness to us in the past, This helps us to trust that God will provide for what we need in the future. So this remembering of God's faithfulness helps us to trust and to release our security for the future. Or to paraphrase one of our beloved hymns, when we remember that God's grace has brought us safe thus far, we can trust that God's grace will also lead us home. One more thing about this reading. Did you notice that the invitation list to the first fruits party at the end includes aliens? Did you hear that? The undocumented of the land? And then one verse later, uh, I wish I'd asked Kristen and Trace to read it, we see that orphans and widows are also added to the guest list. So whenever God's faithfulness to us in the past is remembered, God's generosity in God's people has a way of breaking out in the present. So let me close. Some of you who are parents have been recently telling me about your kids entering their wonderful why phase. And I remember this so fondly with our daughter Jasmine. Baba, why can't we see God? Why did God give us two eyes but only one nose? Why is the sky blue and not green? Why do you sometimes cry when you're happy? And these why questions would go on and on and on and on, uh, especially when it was bedtime and time to go to sleep. One more why question. And you know, I have to just wonder, is this one of the reasons that Jesus said that we must receive the kingdom like child with their curiosity, with their delight, with their inquisitiveness. Friends, as we begin to practice again many of the central rituals of our faith, foot washing, confessing our brokenness and affirming our belovedness, breaking bread, 
remembering our Savior's life and death and resurrection, let us never leave our why phase. And let us keep our eye always on the why. Amen.